Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So, you take out your family to a big event or venue. Maybe it was out to see the Christmas displays at the Trail of Lights. Maybe it was to a concert or to a sporting event. Possibly a museum or a a zoo. And for good measure, you drag along some of the neighbor kids as well. You arrive there safely. You look at the many things there are there to see and you experience the many things that there are to do. And then you set off for home at the conclusion of this activity. You pull into your driveway and lo and behold, you still have all the kids with you with which you started. You didn't lose a single one. That's a good thing. Very good thing, in fact, because losing a kid in a large crowded place, well, that would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? And so Joseph and Mary went to Jerusalem And they lost Jesus in the crowd. Except that Jesus wasn't really a kid anymore at that point. You see, at the age of 12, he would have been considered a man by the standards of the day. But for all the worldliness of our kids in our day and age, 12 still sounds awfully young to us. That was a different world. A different time and different place with different challenges and different expectations. Kids did not have the luxury of staying kids for long. Not that they really do today either, though, huh? But Jesus was considered a man, which made this particular Passover celebration a significant one for him and his earthly family. You see, this Passover, when the time came for the temple sacrifice of the Passover lamb, Jesus, for the very first time, would be allowed to accompany his earthly guardian father, Joseph, around the whole temple. He would not be relegated to the court of women and children. Now he could go into the court of Israel, where only the men could go. Perhaps Jesus himself, whom John the Baptist would later identify as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, perhaps it is Jesus who carries in his very own arms on behalf of his family their lamb for the Passover sacrifice. Jesus, who might have presented it to the priest, who then took it away to the altar to be slaughtered, and who then returned with the meat for his family's Passover meal. If that were the case, that would be some delicious irony, wouldn't it? Because some 21 years later, to the very week, the week before he was crucified, Jesus would enter those temple precincts once again. But this time, instead of carrying a lamb, he would fashion a whip out of a bunch of cords and he would use to drive out the animals that were stored there and sold there for the sacrifices. No more of this, he was saying. His coming, his once and for all sacrifice, would take the place of all that. 
But then on the other hand, maybe Jesus would have as little to do with the sacrificial animals at the age of 12 as he did later at the age of 33. We simply don't know for sure. But what we do know, that's very important. What we do know is that Jesus, at what we would consider the tender young age of 12, connected with those teachers in the temple. And when it was time to go back to Nazareth with his parents, he decided to stay in Jerusalem instead, to spend more time with these teachers. And St. Luke tells us that he spoke with them, he listened to them, and he asked them questions. And my, oh my, wasn't Jesus good at asking questions? Take, for instance, that time in adulthood, Again, in that period just before the Passover when he was crucified, when he asked the teachers in the temple a real good zinger, what do you think of the Messiah, the Christ? Whose son is he? And the teachers gave Jesus the standard answer to that. He's the son of David, they said. Well then, said Jesus, How is it that David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord? At that point, Jesus quoted Psalm 110, which is a psalm of David, which says, The Lord, that is God the Father, said to my Lord, that is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus asks another question to drive his point home. If David thus calls him Lord, how is he his son? That one stumped the temple teachers. But Jesus' point was clear that he, he the Messiah, he the Christ, had to be more than just the son of David. Indeed, he had to be the son of God. So back to our story at hand, the one about the 12-year-old Jesus. Once Mary and Joseph figured out that Jesus was not where he was supposed to be, or at least where they thought he was supposed to be, they looked for him frantically for three whole days. Okay, parents, your kid is missing for three days. How does that make you feel? Finally, we are told that they found him in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Mary, in her distress, says to him, Son, why are you, what are you doing here? Jesus said, Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And there you have it again. Jesus calls the temple, which is God's house, his father's house, which would make God his father, and him, Jesus, God's son, which of course is exactly who he is. And if you've been following the Christmas story along from the very start, that will come as no surprise to you. But there still is a surprise here. The surprise of the story is that Joseph and Mary don't get it. As Luke puts it, they did not understand what he said to them. Now here's a question for you. Of all the people 
around who is in a better position to understand this about Jesus than Joseph and Mary. For one thing, they knew the extraordinary circumstances of Jesus' birth, not the least of which is that Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they'd also heard the messages of the angels, the testimony of the shepherds and the wise men, and the prophets like Simeon about who Jesus really was, that he was the Son of God. You know what? It is kind of easy to lose perspective on things like that after you've eh, changed a few hundred diapers, watched your baby crawl, and watched him take his first faltering, teetering steps, after you've schooled him the olives and the bets and the gimels, and chuckled over his first feeble attempts to make something in the workshop with hammer and saw. After you've helped him out with those memory verses that the rabbi assigned. After all of that, who could Jesus be but your son? After all, with nothing having happened spectacularly since his infancy, it would be very easy to start assuming that Jesus was your son and not God's son. Twelve years had gone by since Jesus' birth. And things were not quite as crystal clear to Mary and Joseph as they once had been. Maybe they thought that they had just imagined it all. Maybe there isn't really anything going to happen. We know how that feels, don't we? Our eyes of faith can grow dim sometimes. The vision of our faith can get blurred. And as time goes by, our faith is tested and tried by the challenge of this world. Life might get the better of us. And it can be easy. It can be so very, very easy, in fact, to lose your grip on God. We look around us and we can't help but noticing that there is not a whole lot of that peace on earth and goodwill toward men that the Christmas angels sang about. Families fall apart. People we love get sick. Accidents happen and jobs are lost. People die. It's times like that we forget whose peace and what sort of peace was promised. Whose goodwill and toward whom, by whom, is given. And so things don't seem so crystal clear as they once were. And what do you do when that happens to you? What can you do? Well, like Joseph and Mary, you can find Jesus. You can find him, same place you've lost him. And where is that? Where is he? He's in the same place that Mary and Joseph found him. He's in his father's house. For us, his father's house is right here, this place. Not because the building itself is so special, although it should be for us. Not even because the people who come here are special, although they are to God and they ought to be to us as well. No, we find Jesus here because here is where he has promised to be for us. We find him here by listening to his word, 
by paying attention to what he has to say to us in his holy scriptures, through the word that is proclaimed to you, through the holy sacraments. And this is a lesson that we should learn very, very well. When we're losing our grip on Jesus, when we're losing our grip on our Christian faith, or at least when it seems the other way around, that God has lost his grip on us, this is the place to come. When Jesus was 12 years old, he astonished the teachers in the temple. Well, we should be no less astonished with what he says and teaches us and does for us here today. Does it not absolutely astonish you that Jesus, the Son of God, the author of all creation, was born in a stable in Bethlehem for you? Is it not even more astonishing that this same Jesus, one who lived a life without any fault or sin of his own, died a miserable death for the sake of someone who's lived a life like yours? And is not the most astonishing thing of all that he has risen from the dead and he lives forever. Lives not just for you, but lives awaiting you. This is truth. This is wisdom from above. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can believe it and you can cling to this promise. That Jesus is God's Son. And that he is your Savior. He is your Lord. In his holy name. Amen.